0: As you remain standing, you can grab your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians as our evening studies continue. And if you don't have a Bible with you this evening, you can turn to one of the chairback Bibles that should be nearby, and you'll find this evening's text on page 981. And we're picking up where we left off last week as tonight we look at verse 8 through 11 in a section of Paul's writings that I, that I think you can adequately say with some degree of confidence represents something of his life's ambition. Uh, you could almost call this his, his life section that he articulates to the church at Philippi and, of course, uh, by extension to us this evening. So let me read those four verses for us and then I'll pray for our time and we'll begin together. and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So let's pray, and then we'll continue together. Father, we simply ask this night that by your spirit, through your word, you would help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ clearly, and we do pray these things in his precious name amen. You may be seated. I had lunch earlier this week with a group of students, and for more than a few minutes at the beginning of the meal, a few of the students were occupied in a very heated discussion about which series of books were the best. Yeah, the Chronicles of Narnia on one side, and you had the Lord of the Rings on the other side. And in the course of that spirited debate, knowing that I like both of those series of books, one of the students asked me, which is your least favorite chronicle in the Chronicles of Narnia? And uh, the kids have often asked me that at our own house, and I've always said the same answer throughout the years. It's the last book that's my least favorite, which is simply titled The Last Battle. And I've always found that rather ironic in certain ways, one of which is, it's my least favorite book, but it happens to contain my most favorite scene in all of the chronicles of Narnia. Because it's at the end of that book, you have the great Lion King Aslan. Finally, alas, he's defeated all of his foes. And he's bringing his people, he's bringing his subjects into what's known as Aslan's country. Uh, This place that's beyond all comparison in our ability to imagine or comprehend its beauty and its majesty. And as the lion leaps forward in the scene, he turns around over his shoulder and he cries out, Come further up, come further in. And those are phrases that I think belong to the text of Scripture in front of us tonight as we come once again, as we did last week, to this inner sanctuary of Paul's spirituality as what we find his heartbeat in those final moments, it seems, perhaps even of his earthly life as he's there in prison, house arrest, in Rome, he's crying out in his own soul's desire, he longs to go further up, he longs to go further in, in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, kids, that Paul is writing this in prison. He's already told us at the beginning of this letter that he's not so sure exactly if he's going to get out alive. He's already said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He doesn't know which he's going to choose. To depart and be with Jesus is far better. And as so often happens, if you've ever had this experience before, maybe known someone with this experience before, you know the reality of death, it tends to narrow your life's focus to fixate on the things that matter most. And as Paul has turned his attention to the church at Philippi to speak about the things that matter most to him, he's saying that nothing else matters to him More than knowing the all surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you were with us last week, what we saw him do among the number of things in verses 1 through 7, in verse 2, he told the church at Philippi to look out for these false teachers that were coming, those who mutilate the flesh. And he says, by way of contrast and distinction, that we Christians are the true circumcision, is what he said. And part of being the true circumcision is not just worshiping by God's Spirit, boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means taking no confidence in the flesh, Paul said. He said, but I of all people, I have every reason to have confidence in the flesh. And then what he did in verses 3 through 6, he rattled off all the reasons He had confidence in the flesh, or at least could have confidence in the flesh. And you'll notice where we left off last week, as he spoke about these words taken from the accounting world, he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And it's almost as though what he does is he double clicks on verse 7, and it opens us into this great window of truth of what it means for a heart that considers all things that used to be valuable to now be nothing more than loss for the great gain of knowing Jesus Christ. And so the simple theme that he's going to unfold for us tonight is calling us to consider the all-surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus. That's all I want you to do tonight from these four verses. Simply consider the all-surpassing Passing worth of Jesus Christ, and I want you to consider it in in three specific ways. I want you to consider, first of all, the faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want you to consider your fellowship with Christ before, lastly, in the final verse, turning to consider our future in Jesus Christ. So first of all, consider your faith in Christ Jesus. Again, look at verse 8. He says, indeed... I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Uh, The word there, surpassing, it means something more directly like to have above. What he's saying is that there's nothing in, in a true Christian's heart that you ever want to have above the Lord Jesus. All those things that he used to consider valuable, all those things that he used to consider worthy of his time, his effort, his striving, his prayers, his energy, well, you can't ever hold those above the surpassing worth of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you know something of that quality of faith, true faith, that forsakes that which you once held dear. Uh, can those of you who know Jesus Christ tonight look back on a time in your life when perhaps sin reigned, even demonic temptation afflicted you. And there were times in which you used to value something, but now because you know Jesus, you don't value them anymore. Things you used to cherish, you no longer do by way of comparison to him. Things you used to prize and pursue, you no longer yearn for in the same way. And you'll see the degree to which he counts them as loss. You'll notice verse 8 continues where he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Uh, you may know that this is a word in the first century culture of the Apostle Paul speaks of refuse. Uh, you can kind of go to an old dictionary or a lexicon and it would simply say something like, Normally means dung. That's how much he doesn't think about what used to be valuable to him. By way of comparison to Jesus Christ, he has him above all other things. And students, I, I do hope that you would recognize even this night that the world, your schools, sometimes even, isn't it true, this culture in which we live over and over, is always calling you to have an ambition that is above knowing Christ Jesus, to pursue even people or pleasures possessions, even prestige in this world as above the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I count that all as refuse by way of comparison of what it means to know Christ Jesus. But not just know Christ Jesus. You see, verse 8 ends, in order, he says, that I may gain Christ. So you want to ask the question, children, how is it that someone can gain Jesus Christ? Well, verse 9 answers that question in part. Notice he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you want to pay attention here, because this is bringing us into the depths of what we find so often in Paul's letters. This thing we often speak about is this great exchange of justification. You know, you might Uh, be in here tonight, and wouldn't say that you actually know the Lord Jesus. This is the great good news of Christianity, where Paul speaks about what it means to be found in God, what it means to gain Jesus Christ, what it means to even be clothed in righteousness. Now, if you glance back again, just scan your eyes through verse 3 through 6. Paul has told us immediately in the preceding section that what he used to be confident in was really two summary things. His religious pedigree. And his religious performance said differently. He was confident in who he was and what he did. And he realizes, doesn't he, and surely it was even on that road to Damascus where the risen Lord Jesus appeared to him in this bright, brilliant light that he realized who he was, a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. What he did, blamelessness under the law. Well, that actually has no value of eternal merit before the Lord. Maybe you know that the Bible actually tells us who we are, sinners from birth. What we do and have done, sinned before the Lord. Well, that actually merits God's gavel at the day of judgment, slamming down and being one that declares us guilty and worthy of eternal punishment. Paul says, I used to think those things mattered. But what does he say in this great exchange? What does matter is who Jesus is. What, what Jesus has done. Clinging to him with the eyes of faith. That's why Paul often loves to use this language that seems to be taken from the world of clothing. As though if I was to stand before the Lord in the spiritual garment that comes from who I was and what I did. It's nothing more than the spiritual garment that's filthy. It's stained with all of our iniquities and transgressions. There's absolutely nothing about who we are or what we have done that would merit the Lord's favor. But if we look, he says, if you look to the Lord Jesus in faith, what you'll find yourself being clothed with is the garment of his spotless, perfect righteousness that you can be found in him. And he goes on to speak about, notice also in verse 10, what it means to have faith in the Lord also. He says that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. That, that same power that created all things from nothing. The same power of God that rose Jesus from the dead three days after he was crucified for sinners like you and me. And do you know that that same power belongs to God's people today? As it raises dead hearts to new life. That same power that created the world. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power through which... We live putting sin to death and living alive to righteousness and obedience in the Lord. Consider your faith in the Lord Jesus. Number two, I want, you to consider, I want you to consider your fellowship with the Lord Jesus. You see what he says as he continues in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Uh, One of the realities that belongs to living in our technological age, I suppose, is we have on-demand streaming of music for many of us just on a little device that you can uh, plug into a cable that plugs into your car's radio, or at least that's how it works in the Stone household. And so ordinarily what will happen in all of the travels that we have throughout the week, we'll put in the device into uh, the radio. And by the time we get out of the garage and before we get out of the driveway, one of the children is requesting a certain song or one of the children is requesting a certain album. And you might know that they'll listen to that song or they'll listen to that album and inevitably something comes up that they don't like that much. And so then they'll cry out from the back seat, skip this one. Or one time I remember it with one of the children when they were particularly young, they said, daddy, play that song again. And then it played again and went to the next one. Daddy, skip that song. It's all too wild, is what they said uh, from the back seat. And we can do that, can't we? Even when we read our Bible, we can, we can rush to amplify that which we love and almost press skip on that which we'd rather not deal with. Do you see how that can even happen in verse 10? That people can rush to the reality of what it means to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. But but what about the power of his suffering? What about sharing? What about communion? What about fellowship with him in his suffering? Maybe you would agree with me that many of God's people today really would like to skip over that part of what it means to know the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. But if you've been with us in our studies already by this point in Philippians, we've seen how Paul's spirituality of suffering is altogether different, isn't it, from what we so often find in the world. He said already by this point that his suffering there in chains has actually served to advance the gospel throughout the Roman imperial guard. That people are now encouraged, emboldened in their witness because of Paul's suffering. So suffering is good. Not only that, he says later on in chapter 1, he says that the Philippian church has actually been graced with the blessing of suffering. They've been granted the privilege, we might say, of suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. So surely then, it shouldn't surprise us that Paul would say, I desire, I long, I yearn to know him by sharing in his sufferings. And you'll see some of what that means for him. The end of verse 10 tells us, becoming like him in his death. And I think there are two, of course, ordinary meanings of what he refers to here by becoming like him in his death. The first of which would be, uh, Paul is facing pending martyrdom. He knows that. And so he knows even in his death, in his martyrdom for the Lord Jesus Christ, he's somehow filling up what he would tell to the church at Colossae, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. But even for people like us, I think it means something a little bit more pointed in our spiritual life. The language there of becoming like him in his death can simply just mean more directly taking the form of his death. And maybe you notice how Paul has reversed the pattern of Jesus who died and then rose again. What he seems to be saying here is that we rise again to new life in Christ in order that that we might die to sin. That we might die to self, didn't the Lord Himself say that anyone who would come after me, He must deny Himself, take up His cross, and follow me? For whoever would save His life will lose it. But whoever loses His life for my sake and the gospel will find it. You might be in here today, and you might sit in here in this room this evening in the midst of some silent suffering. Or perhaps with close friends or family members, you're walking through some grief in community. But you can always find that temptation from your foe, the devil, to race away from the suffering. When Paul says rejoice in it, because it's perhaps a blessing of God. That you might more intimately become acquainted with a Savior who himself suffered. Suffered even for our salvation. So consider your fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, finally, verse 11, consider your future. Consider your future in Jesus Christ. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's fascinating if you're with us next week. I trust you'll see this worked out in verse 12 through 16. But the degree to which Paul, if you think about the tenses of his spirituality, he doesn't really care a whole lot for the past. He's going to speak about straining forward to the future, forgetting what lies behind. And maybe some of you know how so much of our life is the opposite. We think so little about that future glory that awaits us, spending so many of our days fixated on past failures, the shame, the guilt, the sorrow that belongs to days gone by. Perhaps even there's ways in which we can pine and long for the days gone by. How even in a funny way, we think of them as the good old days compared to now. Paul says he's straining forward, isn't he? It seems like as though with every fiber of his spiritual being, he's straining forward to that day of final resurrection. And if you want to know what he means by that, just glance down. Maybe the end of the second paragraph from this, verse 20 and 21 of Philippians chapter 3, he says, "...our citizenship is in heaven." From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Have you sensed this week fixing your eyes on that future, that is final resurrection, the resurrection from the dead, You see the degree to which the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it kind of permeates Paul's thinking because it's got this present power that I might know now, this day, the power of his resurrection and that no matter the sufferings that the Lord brings into my life, by any means possible, I will attain to the resurrection of the dead in the future. And students and children, I trust that you know that it's in that future resurrection that everything gets better. This this perishable body, it takes on an imperishable body. These eyes that can only see dimly will then see fully and finally the king in his beauty. This life that's nothing more than that of a stranger or exile here on earth is finally at long last. Come to the king's country where we'll dwell with him forever and ever. What does it mean then to consider the all-surpassing worth of Jesus? Consider your faith in Christ Jesus. Consider your fellowship with him. Consider also your future in the Lord Jesus himself. I don't know if if some of you would, would agree with this statement that some of your best friends, like some of my best friends, happen to be dead. What I mean by that is sometimes you can find Christians and saints in decades and centuries past that have this unique ability to stir you up in the matters of loving Christ and glorifying the Lord. And uh, by God's grace, I'm working on this talk that I have to give in a few months' time that deals with the circle of friends, uh, which has caused me to read all these letters that they traded back and forth a long, long time ago. And uh, I was uh, reading a collection of letters and journal entries from one of these friends. His name is Andrew Bonar, earlier this week. And he was 36 years into his ministry a ministry there in Scotland that was well-known and uh, was understood to have much acclaim at the time. And then in his journal entry, he speaks about having 36 days passed on from his ordination, and he simply says this, Christ is ever precious to me. Nothing else satisfies me. And then, uh, as, a, as a minister myself, I, I think of 36 years into my ministry, Lord willing, that I might be able to say what he says next. Quote, I only yearn to know him better and to preach him more fully now, some of you are in here today and you've only known the lord jesus christ for 36 months others of you are in here today and you've known the lord jesus christ for 72 years would you like the apostle paul say my only yearning my only longing is to know him better and to speak of him more fully Do you want to know what it means to enter into that inner sanctuary of Paul's spirituality? It's to have that heartbeat for the Lord himself. And let me show you two summary things as we come to a close now here at the end when it comes to knowing the all-surpassing worth of the Lord Jesus. I want you to see, number one, that reaching Jesus Christ is life's great purpose. Reaching Jesus Christ is life's great purpose. Because if you care about such things, and if you kind of go through this text, what you would notice is what Paul does in his kind of peculiar way with his logical ability to teach. He heaps up purpose clause after purpose clause on each other. And the last one we get really is in verse 11. He says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I hope you see, and I want you to see, how even that simple phrase in verse 11 can change your life and what it means to know the all-surpassing worth of Jesus by any means possible. Consider ordinary experiences in our time and space. We have a young family that's been praying for children for years and years. The Lord has closed the womb. And then seemingly in answer to prayer and in genuine answer to prayer, the Lord opens the womb. But then, 10, 11 weeks later, The mother miscarries. Can you say with Paul, by any means possible, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead? Or your life is going along with great blessing and fullness of health, and suddenly you visit the doctor, and he says you only have three months to live, such as the cancer you didn't know you have. By any means possible, may I attain the resurrection of the dead? When your friends, your family members, maybe even your coworkers ridicule you for your devotion and faith in Christ, by any means possible, may I attain the resurrection from the dead. Or when you see your vocation crumble in an instant, a relationship disappear overnight, in the midst of the sorrow and the anguish, you say, by any means possible, may I attain the resurrection from the dead. So reaching Jesus Christ is life's great purpose. Certainly we're meant to see most centrally is the second and final thing that I leave you with tonight is that knowing Jesus Christ is life's great pleasure. I hope you can say that. You know, kids, this is speaking, isn't it? This this knowledge that he is is beating for, this knowledge that he is striving for, is more than just what you can get in a simple hour-long Sunday school lesson here at the Lord's Church on the Lord's Day. Students, of course, this is much more than a knowledge that you can get by way of knowing someone through their social media account. Uh, this is knowledge that the Jesus Christ Himself would say is, is saving in its power, as He prays in John chapter 17: "Lord, this is eternal life, that they would know You, and know the One You have sent, which is Me." But do you see that rich gospel pronoun in verse eight? When he gives us that heartbeat of his life. Indeed I count everything is lost. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord. The gospel's always found isn't it. And those personal pronouns. It's one thing to say. I count everything is lost. For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. The Lord. You know that's true. It's fundamentally true. But how much more. To your heart is it true to say, I count everything as loss for the all-surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, such as the one to whom my faith is resting, such as the one to whom my fellowship is with, such as the one to whom my future belongs. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask for more of love of Christ within our heart, that you would simplify even our desires, that you would sanctify our ambitions, that we, like Paul, might beat ever so earnestly, ever so humbly, and ever so consistently consistently, to know the Lord Jesus each and every day. Help us even this night to rejoice in the same. And We do pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.